So we're going to continue our study on Psalm 30. Uh, Chip, do you still have the Psalm 30? Yes, I do. That's great. Okay. So let's all read it together. This opening, we I know we just read it in KJV next door. Uh, let's, let's read it in ESV here. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Jehovah, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Jehovah my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Jehovah, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to Jehovah, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Jehovah, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Jehovah, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Jehovah, and be merciful to me. O Jehovah, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Jehovah my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So last Lord's Day we went through and discussed the first five verses. Now we, we talked some about how this, from a heading perspective, says, it is a song at the dedication of the temple. Yet the contents themselves are clearly, they're not a let's talk about the temple kind of psalm. This is David, all right, talking about himself. And also, as David talked, we, we discussed, well, what's the kind of, what's the situation? Is this a... Is this a, I'm being attacked by my enemies psalm? Please don't let me die because my enemies are trying to kill me. And I think we decided, no, this is not that kind of psalm. This seems to be a sickness psalm. So David give thanks. If we look in verse 2. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. The idea here is not um, that I'm being attacked. It's there's something wrong with me. And you healed me out of this. Now, it could have been a wound, and God healed him from that. That is possible. Or it could simply have been sickness. But this seems to be the the general context of this particular psalm. So in verse 1, David is praising for um, God has drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. And we talked about that language, drawn me up. And lift me up, depending on your translation. The idea here, the, the, the image here is like drawn up out of, out of a well. Because we're going to see a lot of imagery about pits and Sheol and death being down. So it's, it's not 
primarily the image of he's on the floor and lifting up, but it's a he's kind of down a well and drawing up is the idea. And if you happen to have a Net Bible, for example, they will even though the Net Bible translation I find this funny. For they say, for you have lifted me up. In their translator note, they talk about the image of being drawn out of a well, and so I wonder why they didn't just put that in there because they clearly had it in mind, but they didn't let that come out of the translation. And uh, it's curious to me, and I have no idea why. So in verse 2, all right, he gives the specific reason. I cried to you for help, and you have healed me, as we discussed. O Lord, you have brought my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And we've talked about Sheol and pit. And recall about about Hebrew poetry reading, you get lots of parallels, right? You've you've got in in this one, you've brought me from Sheol, paralleled, you restored me from life from among those who go down to the pit. This is not per se about David being resurrected, all right? This is about him not dying, him being restored and not actually going all the way into the pit and dying. Sheol is a I think in this case they're actually the same. That and it's he's trying not to be redundant by saying you didn't let me go down to Sheol and you pulled me out of Sheol. So I think he's actually purposely using pit to refer to Sheol. And we're going to see another usage of pit in a minute which is going to be similar meaning but actually a different word for pit even though we see the same word in English. And so yeah, I do think they are meant to be parallel. Like in the King James the KJV in that Yes, they're picking that up, and different translations will do it different ways, but they're all trying to see that parallel. And, and, the, and the parallel there really makes that, I think, uh, it, this is definitely what he's trying to do here. So in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. And we mentioned last time that he, he's now switching from me to you. All right? He was singular, now it is talking plural. So he shifts to those who are listening or reading. Since it's a psalm, I, I presume more often listening than reading, but still. Sing praises to the Lord, O ye saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And we ended on this verse last time. You've got, the. I think the most interesting difference in this one is the second line. So this verse has four lines to it. Uh, whoever, whenever they, were, they chose to versify this particular psalm, uh, somebody decided to just keep all of these together instead of, as is most of the case, two lines to a verse. This one, I guess, because they are so close to each other in the idea that he decided, I'm going to stick four lines in a single verse. But you've got four lines there. In the second line there, you've got ESV saying his favor is for a lifetime. All right. Um, but you've got different things in the KJV. All right. In his favor is life. All right. Meaning I didn't die. All right. In the net Bible, you've got and good, his good favor restores one's life. Once again, going back to that 
you know, verse 2, God healed me. Or in Alter's translation, life in his pleasure, same basic idea. And so you've got some ambiguity there, and three of the translations go with one way, where one goes with the other, all right? where the ESV is focusing on the transitory nature of the problem. And the other ones are really sticking it more with the context of the psalm, meaning David didn't die. And David didn't die because of God's good pleasure. And so that's a translational difference between the two. Now the verse, regardless of which way you go with that, is still focusing on the transitory nature of the problems because the lines 3 and 4, they all agree in their translation. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Or, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And so forth. And so on. And so, David is, first of all, starting off with him, praising God, because God has delivered his life. He's delivered him from death, whatever the situation is, all right? Whatever sickness or wound or whatever. And so, God has healed him and brought him up from Sheol. He turns to the people and says, okay, now it's time for you. Praise God. Why? Because even if bad things happen, even if God's anger momentarily comes, all right, mercy will come next, because that is God's good pleasure. And this is built into the law. We've discussed this before. When it talks, all right, and uh, when it talks about the curses in the law, if you sin and the people sin too much and they don't repent, the curses will come upon them. But there's always this idea that God will then turn around and be merciful and ultimately come and save them because they are his people. Even if that's a very long time, like, for example, exile, God will always do that. This is reflected, the same basic theology is reflected here in in David. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. So those are the things we discussed last Lord's Day. Let's talk about verse 6. And I want to give you a few minutes to think about verse 6. Look at it in the different translations, and then let's discuss. Go ahead. And if you want to talk to somebody next to you, that's totally fine. Any interesting differences in the translations? Prosperity, self-confidence. What's different about the self-confidence? That's the Nut Bible. Everyone else goes for prosperity, prosperity. No, there's quiet days. What does that mean, right? And self-confidence. What? What's the connection between prosperity and self-confidence? You have 
It's it's very it's baked into human nature, right? Yes. When prosperous times, we don't feel dependent. All right. And so, what? And this is very common for the Net Bible. Net Bible will take away the image and replace it with the interpretation. In this particular case, they're they're clearly doing that. It does not say self confidence. It totally is about being in good. Being in good prosperity, right? Which altar renders as in quiet days, which actually kind of fits with that, but I don't know. Um, I'm not sure all of my children would want quiet days and think that's prosperous because they're a lot more social than me. Me, I love quiet days. That's fantastic, right? So I'm not sure about his choice there, but he's trying to go with the same idea, I think, with prosperity, where the Net Bible is translating it. Yeah. Peace of mind. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. To me, with the self confidence and prosperity. Okay. Because when things are going well, usually you don't have that nagging worry, concern about money or job yeah. or life. So if we go with that, which does make a lot of sense to me, right? You've got two translations that are sticking with more closely to the original language, all right? And then the other two are like drawing out the implications, right? Very tempting to do in poetry. You kind of, often in poetry, if you take away the image and just give what it means directly, you take ambiguity out, but you also take some of the, I don't know, take the fun out, um, take what the poetic person is trying to do with the image, which is net Bible all over the place. That is very much their, their MO, is to do this all of the time, and we'll see this again in just a few minutes, yeah. His uh, attitude uh, to those he addressed in four and five. He says, "As for me, mm-hmm. he, he addresses his uh, Jehovah's Saints in verse five and four and five. No, he switches back to I. Me, yeah. I will not be moved. You know, that's an interesting point. He does switch back to the first person here. Now, what were you going to say? What I see is similar in all four of them is I, first person singular, mm-hmm. never, in future tense, will. Right, shall. right. I will never be moved. All right? All right. Is he going to shift from that opinion? Next verse. Let's see if he shifts from that opinion. Eric? Yes, sir. Isn't it uh, true sometimes, maybe too many times, that when things are going well in our life, we tend to neglect our relationship with, with mm-hmm. the Lord? Hmm. And maybe David might be saying here, even when things were going well for me, all the self-confidence I had, mm-hmm. I'm, I was still, you know, Answering to you, I was still living a life for you. Is that something that could be interpreted to Let's let's put a pause on that till we read this verse, okay. right? Because this this verse has a reversal in it, and so I, I, this this verse is a lot of fun. All right, take a few minutes, read the translations, think about the um, internal logic here. Okay. 
Yes, verse 7 on the other side of the page. Okay, so what happened, Frank, to, to David's self-confidence? Yeah, it was, it was dismayed. Yeah, he was dismayed, right? But he said it was from the Lord. It was, yeah. right? Right? He wasn't dismayed because of his enemies. You hid your face, all right? I love that contrast because it's like you read the first half of the verse and everything's good, right? Especially right after the other one, everything's good, and then just just it just flips. You hid your face; I was dismayed. It's the God humbling David, all right? Not alongside it, but just, oh, it's all good, it's all good. All right. You hid your face; I was dismayed. And so, yeah, I think it's exactly what you were talking about, Frank. In the in the prosperity, we David in this particular case, right? David was feeling really good in the middle of his prosperity, right? He was feeling really strong. And then God hit his face. It's over, right? And he's then dismayed. Yeah. I'll read the NIV. I think it's a little clearer. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Oh, Jehovah, when you favored me, you made my mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face, I was dismayed. That makes it a little clearer that his relationship with the Lord, his relationship with the Lord is always stable. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree. But let's talk about that mountain phrase, all right? What's, from a translation perspective, what's going on there? All right, and uh, the NIV is like the net. Uh, it sounds to me. How hard, question, how hard is it to move a mountain? Right? Now, Jesus says, if you pray, this mountain can be thrown into the sea. But, we know, mountains, very hard to move. Right? The ancients knew that better than we did, because we could move one better than they could. We have better equipment. But still, the idea is, you don't move mountains. Nobody moves mountains. Only God can move mountains. Uh, people can't move mountains. You have made me mountain strong. That's extremely strong. That's impervious. That is basically nothing can touch me, right? Now notice, net is doing, and then NIV does exactly what the net typically does. Take away the image, put in the meaning. All right? There is no mountain in the net Bible. What's the Greek word there? You know? It would be Hebrew, and it would be mountain. Yeah, mountain or hill. Yeah. An interesting footnote in the NIV 
Yeah. So for them, the, they would use the same word for mountain and hill. They would just be yeah. different sizes. Yeah. Is, it, is he bringing out that mountains are defensible or that um, they're closer to God? Or is it just their immovability? It's a good question. All right. Maybe it isn't. It could. That's a good point. It could might not be the immovability. It might be the defensible nature of it. That's very possible. And let's bring in this idea. All right. Let's talk about that a little bit more and ask for David. What would a mountain represent? Defensibility. Sure. More specific. Do we know? Okay. Uh, what is there any special place related to David that is on top of a mountain? Jerusalem, right? City of David. So where his palace was, that's where the temple would be built after he died. Um, some people have suggested maybe it's, it is, I mean, mountains strong, sure. Maybe this is actually a reference not so much to a mountain directly, it's a metaphor for his reign. All right, you have made my mountain, my rain, secure. Um, none of the translations really go with that, and I don't know if that's there. But it is totally in the realm of meaning, because probably on Mount Zion, all right, could very well be on Mount Zion when he's doing this. Certainly, if it's anything anything towards the end of his reign, he's going to be on Mount Zion making this song. For the temple, right? The dedication of the temple. Mm -hmm. The temple would be there, like you said. Just, right. just not then, but it would be. Yeah. And, and this might be why, and I said last time, there's like, what does this have to do with the temple? This verse, all right, I think is a good reason to use this for the temple later on. Where later on they're going, you made my mountain stand strong. You made Jerusalem stand strong. The mountain where the temple is, the temple is therefore, you know, God makes the temple indefensible and in, in, indestructible, all right? Or God has established the mountain where the temple is. So maybe it's the mountain here that is a good reason to use this as a dedicatory psalm. Other than that, I actually can't see any good reason why they would, other than it's a good psalm. All right, so you've got this. I was prosperous, you made me mountain strong, you hid your face, I was dismayed. If you would, open your, um, open your Bible to Psalm 88. And do this because, you know, what does it mean for God to hide his face? If we look at Psalm 88, verse 13. But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. 
I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Now, this is not a psalm of David. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. But, if you're wondering what the image, all right, what does it mean for God to hide his face? All right. Here it specifically means reject. All right. And so when you've got in the ESV, or excuse me, in Psalm 30, you hid your face. All right. For some reason, God had rejected him. All right. For some sin. There's only one reason why somebody would why God would reject David. It was it must have been because of some sin. Perhaps this is a reference to the, the Bathsheba episode, perhaps. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Verse 8. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. Take a second and uh, read that verse in the different translations. Any thoughts on this one? There's one oddity I saw here, and I failed to track this one down. But you know, what does the all caps Lord mean? What is that a reference to? What's that? Covenant name. All right. And the not all caps Lord. All right would just be a different word, right? So one is a name and one is a title. You've got, in the KJV, you've got uppercase in both cases. I actually wonder why. I wonder if that's just an accident in this particular... I copied this from a digital source. Maybe they did it wrong. I don't know. But in all the others, you don't see that. And um, Alter just uses a different translation. Just master, which is fine. That's exactly what the word means, Lord, master. Um... So I'm going to have to dig into that later because I'm curious. Now, verse 9. All right. We're going to get back to our theme of death. So if you would read the four lines there in verse 9.
before we discuss this one, um, if I recall correctly from the email, we were going to have a men's meeting today. Was it at 1040? Okay, all right, I will keep that in mind in terms of our stopping time. Okay, so verse 9. You've got four lines here, all right? If ESV, what profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? What do you see different between the translations, and what does this mean? Sounds like legal argument. He's making an argument to God, all right? Which happens in the Bible, right? He's making an argument to God. <laughs> yes, asking for a light or something. Right? Faithfulness, loyalty, and truth are different. Okay. I think. Now, which which are more which are closer? Faithfulness and loyalty. Faithfulness and loyalty, right? ESV and Net, very similar. Alter and KGV. Truth is does definitely seem to have a difference in meaning to me. What about blood? This is an image, this is, this is a case where um, you've got the ESV joins the net and removing the literal and replacing the meaning. All right. What profit is there in my blood in the KJV or in altar? What profit in my blood? Blood here is an image, right? So it's... it's it's not. I don't think it's an image of sacrifice. I think it's an image of what. If you lose your blood, you die. Right. It's talking about death, and so you've got in ESV. What profit is there in my death? All right. Or in verse nine. All right. What profit is there in taking my life? All right. Which the thing I like about that is you've. You, David's talking to God. He's making an argument with God. All right. He's sick, or he was sick. He's like. What value, all right, are you going to get if you kill me right now, all right? Because he's, he, at least in the Net Bible, all right, it's not so much the he's going to die and some outside force did it. It's, it's like he's talking to God. What, what do you get out of you killing me right now, all right? And then he makes his argument. Can the dust of the grave praise you, all right? Can the dust of the grave praise, praise you? What's that a reference to? It's a reference to him after he is dead, all right, turning to dust. When I'm when I'm dust, can I praise you? Can I declare your faithfulness? All right. Well, will the dust of my body in the ESV language will it tell of your faithfulness? All right. And the answer is, well, no. All right. If if God gives David a sickness and then kills him. What does that say of God's faithfulness? All right, that's that's David's argument. All right. Now, if this was for sin, then it's actually not an argument against God's faithfulness at all. Or in general, I mean, everybody dies, right? In this particular case, um, David seems uh, you know when if you take this in verse seven, all right, there seems to be a sin here, all right. David's making the argument. Don't kill me for my sin. All right? Don't kill me for my sin. All right? You get nothing you you get nothing out of it. I can't praise you if you kill me. And so the time here is interesting. Yeah, yeah, Mike. You're relating it to a sin because God hid his face. Yes. 
that's the only time God would hide his face from that's, a, that's my thought. Yeah. And that's the only thing I, that so far we've seen that makes me think, oh, there was specifically a sin here. All right. The other way to take it would be to know it's just a general statement talking about prosperity or something. But I don't know. What would make, it would make sense if, he, if he's going to kill him for sin. What I've seen is that he's saying, I'm prosperous. People see me doing well. Mm-hmm. Suddenly you hide your face from me. I don't necessarily see that it's saying, hmm. I'm sinning and you're mm-hmm. hiding your face from me. That would make logical sense. I'm on a mountain, I'm doing well, and suddenly you hide your face from me, and you're going to kill me. What have I done? How am I going to praise you? How is this going to tell people the truth? If you're doing well, get ready, God's going to kill you. So so what would then, the question would be, I I get you, the question would be, what would be the reason for the rejection? Is there any other reason why God would reject David? Or maybe it's, this would be, I think, maybe going where your argument's going, where David is saying, I haven't sinned. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. I haven't sinned. Why are you rejecting me? Why are you letting this happen to me? If you kill me, I can't praise you. Okay. It's another way of taking it. It's interesting. Yeah. What's the background of Psalm 30? Uh, it doesn't say. So we don't know if it's like he's being chased by Absalom. Or yeah. Is that what we assume with him, the threat of death? Well, I take it from here, it's actually not a sickness. Uh, excuse me, that it is a sickness. It is not an enemy. Because in, in the early part, was it verse 2? It says, yes, uh, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. And so it's, this is not a deliver me from my enemy psalm, which there's a lot of those. And so it, that would certainly fit. But that doesn't seem to me the context here. Then what if, um, I don't know what Mike was saying, it's a test of your faith. Maybe he didn't sin, but he's in the midst of wondering if he's going to die an early death because he's sick or something. Mm-hmm. And, is this because um, you rejected me or something? Yeah. Space, so it's the what happens if you are to die now? Will you still believe in me? Well, the question would be, right, what's the reason for God hiding his face? Mm-hmm. All right. Did he, really, did he really reject David for something and therefore this happened? Or is this David's perception mm-hmm. of, I'm sick why did you do this? Why did you turn away from me? Um, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have the real context, right? It's this is this often happens in the psalm. It's it's talking about something, but you're like, what exactly historical circumstance with this? It's not necessarily clear. Uh, if you would please turn to Psalm six. just want to go here because you, you see this is not the only place that David makes this argument. All right. Psalm 6, which could very well have a different context and so might not have any direct bearing on the you know, rejection side of things. All right. Uh, I, I go here mostly really just because of the, uh, some of, the, some of the, the language of the argument. So it begins there, O, o Lord, rebuke me not in your anger nor discipline me in your wrath. In this particular context, it's clearly a problem, at least seems to me. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love, for in death there is no remembrance of you. 
in Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of my foes. And so in that case, there's, there's more foe talk there and less, less sickness talk. There, there, was, there was one note of that there. But you've got there, essentially, David making the same argument. You kill me, I can't praise you. Now the time there's there's a weird there's a time change again, all right? If we think about the first part, all right, the first part is David I, all right? And this is like the present David. I David in the present. All right? Then verse four shifts to you, present and future. Alright? Verse six, now we jump back to the past because he says I in my self-confidence said, I will never be shaken. To you, Lord, O Lord, I cry. And, and then in, it's like in 8, all right, we're now, yeah, in the present, it, he's speaking in the present in the past. Right? He's talking about in the past, what did I do? In the past, I cried, all right, for deliverance. I cried for deliverance, and then ultimately we know that he gets saved from, from this. All right, in in the first part of the psalm. So, let's stop there, and uh, we will, Lord willing, continue this next Lord's Day because we need to have our our men's meeting. So, let's break. Um, Kim, will you please please pray for us?